Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Mission Church, Pastor Tyler here. Hey, uh, welcome back to uh, Sunday morning at home through your TV screens, your computer. Uh, I'm just going to say it. I was looking at old videos and pictures, and I want to remind everybody, Mission Church, you're a special church. Man, we worship. Oh, we worship. I hope the last three songs that we just had this morning that you worshiped a little bit. I was seeing videos of us worship, and it's just a house full of life. You know one of my favorite things about our church? We got young, we got old, we got poor, we got rich, we got people who have been Christians for 30 years, Christians who have been uh, Christians for 30 days and even 30 minutes. And that's the thing about the house. The house is never supposed to be marked by age. It's never supposed to be marked by an economic income. It's supposed to be marked by spirit. And Mission Church's spirit, man, it's vibrancy. It's passion for God's house. It's humility. So Mission Church, I wanna say I love you. I miss you. I'm just so proud of our church. I love our church. We got a great church. Um, okay, let's, let's dive into the message. If you're brand new, uh, the title of this uh, message today is Smelling Salt, Smelling Salt. Now, uh, I used it a little bit last message. This is part two of the uh, Church of Sardis message. I, I, I called last week the alarm clock. Uh, but smelling salt, you'll see it used in a handful of instances. Uh, in a football game, uh, a running back will be running and he'll get tackled and he'll get knocked out. Well, the medic will come up and just take some smelling salt and he'll wake up. And be like, bro, you just got knocked out. You got to get back up. Uh, another time you'll see is when a boxer gets a punch, an overhand jab right to the face, and gets knocked out, and then the medic comes up and wakes him back up, brings him back. Well, I believe the Church of Sardis, the, the whole teaching of it, it's a smelling salt verse. And I wanted to throw some smelling salt verses in there to where if you've been asleep, if you've been a sleepy Christian, if you've been a Christian really just numb to the things of God, that this message would wake you up. Because let me just tell you something real quick. Great disciples are alive disciples. Great disciples are woke disciples. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about the way they're saying, get woke in, uh, in, in, the, in the world. I'm talking about we are awakened to the things of God. We are awakened to why we're created. We're awakened to really what God has created the church to be. So let's read Revelation 3 again. Um, it's in a powerful, powerful uh, letter to uh, Sardis. Here we go. These are the words who him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. Oof, deeds are important. We're gonna talk about it today. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. God cares about your reputation. Not your high school reputation, not like what, what it means to be like cool in high school or not cool. I'm talking about your reputation, how you are an ambassador of heaven. He cares about it. He goes on to say, wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. There's that smelling salt. Come on, wake up. He's, he's the great healer. He's trying to wake you up with that smelling salt. He says, for I found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember therefore what, have, uh, what you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Oof. I love the word repentance now. The more and more I learn about it, I love it. Hold fast and come on back and live the life you want to live. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know what time I will come to you. Stop. Let's pray. God, I thank you for what you're doing at Mission Church. God, I believe that even us just going into this next tier of 25% capacity, we're going to have people in this room even soon, 50 people, we're going to be worshiping. Lord, I believe that little by little, we're going to rebuild what you blessed. Lord, that what we saw the first two years at Mission Church, 800 people raising hands, worshiping, people getting saved, uh, lives being restored. Lord, that was just a breadcrumb of what you're gonna do in the East Bay. You're just getting started. So Lord, I pray even this message, it would increase our faith. I pray this message would remind us that God, you have great things for the church, great things for your disciples. Oh, and Lord, I do, I, I ask humbly, may my words fall to the floor and your words soar. God, we need you, we need you. And everybody said, amen. All right, three things, three points. It's gonna be a quick one today. Uh, I got three wake-ups, three wake-ups. So Jesus says, 
wake up. There's three things he wants to wake you up to. Wake up to your reputation. Wake up to your reputation. Now, I want to go to a verse in 1 Peter 2, 11 through 12, because you'll see this. My wife has gotten so good at patiently reminding me of things. Just a little tug. Hey, Tyler, uh, make sure you, you put your dishes in the sink. Hey, Tyler, dishes in the sink. Hey, Tyler, dishes in the sink. Hey, Tyler, dishes in the sink. And then eventually Rachel's like, I told you, dishes in the sink or you're only gonna get paper dishes. Repent or you get paper dishes. That's kind of, I can say it that way with uh, a thing with Rachel and I. I feel like this is what happens in the Bible. Jesus is like, hey, live the way I called you to live. Hey, oh, live for me. Hey, oh, worship me. And the very end of Revelation is like, worship me. Oh, if you don't, you're gonna pay the price. It's an amazing rhythm. Jesus, throughout the Bible, he's always saying it. You think Revelation's the first time he said, wake up? You think Revelation's the first time he talked about deeds? You think Revelation's the first time he talked about reputation? No, no, no. Let's look at what God said in 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. Here's what it says. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. Another way to say this, you are citizens of heaven. You're not a citizen of this world. You're an ambassador of heaven. You are no longer, your identity is no longer, I'm an American first. No longer, I am this first. Your identity is, I am a heavenly citizen. I am a son and daughter of Christ. He's saying, so that's how your identity should affect your activity, right? He goes, to abstain from sinful desires, which, war, uh, which wage war against your very soul. We're gonna talk about that. There are things waging war against your soul. What does it mean to wage war against your soul? To steal joy from your soul to steal peace from your soul, to steal content, uh, uh, contentment from your soul. There are things in this world that will wage war against your soul. Inheritance that's supposed to be yours, the, the, the world wants to take those things. It wants to wage war against those things. Goes on to say, live such good lives. Come on, let's have a good rap. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good what? They may see your good deeds and glorify God um, uh, uh, on the day he visits us. Well, there it is. Pause, let's look at these two verses real quick. Know about your rep. Oh, wake up to your reputation. A little smelling saw about your reputation real quick. First little question on your reputation. When people hear your name, what do they think? When they hear your name, and what Jesus is saying in, in Peter and, and also in the church starters, because he talks about their, the robes being soiled. He talks about the robes not being the right, the, the, the right color anymore. Here's what he's saying, he's saying, you don't longer look like a Christian to the world. You look, you're wearing the same thing that the world wears. You're acting the same way. And he's saying, wake up to your rep. You need to be identified first as a Christian. When people hear your name, they say, oh yeah, that's the Christian that works at our office. Oh yeah, she's the Christian. Oh yeah, he's the Christian. Oh yeah, that, that, uh, that person I play baseball, yeah, that's the Christian on the team. You should be known as the Christian. And a Christian shouldn't be a bad thing. Oh, it should be a great thing. But don't get me wrong. Some people are gonna hate you just because they hear Christian. We're gonna talk about why they're gonna hate you just because they hear Christian. He says this, oh, but to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. That Greek word desires, it, just like love in, in, the, in, the, uh, in the New Testament in Greek, there's four uh, words in love. This is the best way I always describe Greek. There is um, storge, which is a kind of a family, uh, is a, um, uh, a very uh, um, family kind of love. Uh, phileo is a brotherly love. Eros is a, a lustful love. You won't find that described in the type of love we're supposed to love each other. It's a, it's a love that just expires, basically. It's the type of love we have for our iPhones. Oh, I love my new iPhone, Eros love. A year and a half later, I hate my new iPhone. I need a new one. Oh, I love my new iPhone. This is the flesh. We always want new things. And so we're always, that's Eros love. And then there's agape love. So there's levels to this when it comes to love in the Greek. They actually describe love in a way better way in their language, if you ask me. We just say love, 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 love for everything. Well, for desires, they use different levels of desires. Well, this desire is called over-desire. 
And the picture of this Greek word, and I love the way the, the Greek words really gives a picture of really what words are trying to say. It means it grabbed you. What, what it's saying is watch out for things of this world that will grab you and you'll have an over-desire for them. That another way I would say it, watch out for things that will be more important to you than seeing the kingdom of heaven coming to earth. Watch out for things that will be so important to you that that will actually become your reputation. Can, I, can we just be honest real quick? Some of you have been grabbed by politics and it is waging war against your very soul. You've been grabbed by it. Uh, look at anybody who's all about politics. They're not very joyful. They're always angry. Oh, them darn Democrats, them darn Republicans. Let me tell you a little something about both of them. They're terrible. Da, da, da. And they, they'll listen to something. Do you know you're built to be stirred up? You're built to be stirred up. Throughout the Bible, says stir each other up. Oh, to do acts of kindness. Well, you listen to the radio, you watch the news. They stir you up against your other political party. And if you're grabbed by politics, it steals from your very soul of joy and peace and contentment. It steals from your hope. Because here's what happens when you get grabbed by politics. If my candidate doesn't win, America's doomed. If they don't win, we're doomed. If Trump isn't president, we're done. If Biden isn't president, we're done. No, if Jesus isn't king, we're done. Oh, hear me real quick, church. We have an election coming up and whoever gets elected president, we still have the one sitting on the throne that knows the beginning and the end. Oh, I, I hate all this fear stuff right now. It's not of God. The fear stuff is not of God. Man, start speaking the gospel and hope and peace into people's lives. But if politics have grabbed you, it's waging against your soul. If money has grabbed you, it wages against your soul. You'll tell how money grabs you. It will steal your joy. It will steal your peace. It will steal your sleep if money has grabbed you. If the things of this world has grabbed you, it wages war against your soul. There are things that were grabbing me this last season, caused me to have anxiety, was stealing my sleep. You know what I started doing? I started giving it to God. I started giving my worries to God and saying, God, this grabbed me. Oh, release me. Oh, release. It was waging war on my soul, Lord. That's the first thing. And here's what happens when something grabs you. It becomes your reputation. When they hear your name, well, that's the political person. Hear the name, well, that's the person who's da-da-da. Oh, may, I, may we have a church when people hear your name that you're a Christian and that Jesus grabbed you, that you got took in the right way. Come on now. Second part of this is this, live such good lives among the pagans that even though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Stop. One of the ways you'll know that you have a good reputation and that you're a Christian and people know you're a Christian is that people love you and hate you. There's no in between. Nobody's, nobody's lukewarm with you. They're either gonna love you or they're gonna be bothered by you. And here's what I mean by that. People who know you and know that you're a Christian, they're gonna love you. Because a Christian is somebody, again, a great disciple, people love being around a great disciple. A great disciple serves. A great disciple is generous. A great disciple has a lending ear. A great disciple mourns with those who mourn. They're gonna, I love great disciples. I want them all, I, I love great disciples in my life. I love great Christians in my life. And here's what we know about Christians and about disciples. We know that we are forgiven uh, by Jesus, that we're not perfect. Here's what we know about being a Christian. We know that we are weak. Oh, that we can do nothing without God. We know that we're not great. We know that without God, we are dead to sin. We know all these things. But you know what? The world doesn't know that we know all these things. You know, before I was a Christian, you know what I thought Christians thought? This is what I thought of Christianity. It was a moral movement. I thought that people connected to God were the ones that were acting right, that were the morally um, arrogant and they were judgmental. And so when I looked at Christians who I was a Christian, I thought they were the angry, judgmental ones. Because the outside, I was, a, I was a part of the world. I was, a, I was the pagan in this story where it says, um, among the pagans live a good life. I was the pagan watching these Christians. I was watching these Christians and I was going, man, I don't wanna be a Christian. They're judgmental. They, they, uh, they think they're better than everybody. Do you know that none of the Christians told me that they said they think they're better than me? 
Do you know the Christians ever said that they were holier now, they were better? No, it was my own observation because I had my own view of religion and what it was. And then I met an ambassador. And I'm gonna send this message to Brian Reynolds. One of the first ambassadors I met that was so kind to me, her name was Janie Reynolds. Janie Reynolds, I wanna say thank you. I, I met a Christian who was kind to me just to be kind to me. And I grew up uh, in a neighborhood and it was a good neighborhood, but I wasn't a Christian. My parents weren't Christians. And I just, my house was not my most favorite place to be sometimes because I'd be sad or I'd have a hard day and I just want to get out of the house. But you're eighth grade, where are you going to go? And I remember Janie Reynolds would pick me up for youth group in eighth grade. She didn't have to do it. It cost her time, it cost her money. I'd get in the car and she'd be so sweet, be kind to me, drop me and Brian off at youth group and we'd play games the pastor would preach and I wouldn't even listen for the first month because I didn't want to be there for Jesus. I, would just, I just wanted to be there to meet friends and I wanted to goof off. And she faithfully picked me up for a season. And to be honest, when I was on a baseball team, I was on a baseball team with Brian Reynolds. He was the first Christian I met. And when I met the Reynolds family, I thought they were the weird family on the baseball team. Those are the Christians. They're the weird ones. You go over there, their movies are different when you see their movie list. It's all Disney movies. There's no uh, Die Hard. There's no Terminator 2. Where's, where's the bad movies? The, they had, all, they had, all, they had uh, different kind of rules, but, and, and their house was cheery, and they had all these verses everywhere. I thought they were the weird family. And then I experienced that family. And when I experienced that family, I went from judging that family to loving that family. It's fascinating when you get around a Christian and you get to experience a Christian and they do the good deeds and they glorify God because of you. Can I just say something real quick? There's a, there's a story in Galatians. I wasn't gonna go there, but I'm gonna go there today. There's a story in Galatians. In Galatians 1, Paul talks about these people are hating him, but there's others that are loving him. And he says at the very end of Galatians 1, he says, they praise God because of me. Man, there are a handful of people I could tell you, I praise God because of them. Janie Reynolds, I praise God because of her. It's an act of kindness. She probably didn't even know what the big deposit it was, but for picking me up for a season of my life and dropping me off youth group. Can I tell you, the third month of that youth group, I started listening. I remember raising my hands for the first time and sitting in that pew saying, God, I'm gonna be a pastor one day. It was the first time I thought about it because a lady would drive out of her way every Wednesday, pick me up and drop me off. There was no money involved. There was no reward for her on earth. She was picking up a lost kid and bringing him to the house. And because of that, I praise God because of her. And it says in Galatians 2, it says that there is all this division happening. Titus thinks he has to get circumcised to fit in. He thinks he has to do all these morally things to fit in. And what happens is, is Paul says, when you get around, you know what he calls these Christians? He calls them fake Christians. Their reputation's about looking good on the outside. And he says, when those ones get in, they divide. Can I ask you a question real quick? When people are with you, does your reputation make them wanna praise God because of you or are they divided when they leave you? Are they more stirred up because of how bad the world is and how bad people are or do they wanna praise God because of you? Man, I've met some real Christians in my day. I, I was gonna title this point, the real ones, wake up and become a real one, but I'm gonna say wake up to your reputation. Can I just tell you real quick? At our church, we got the real ones. At our church, we got some fake ones. And you gotta ask yourself, am I a real one or a fake one? And I tell it two ways. I call it the people test and the conflict test. People around you will tell you if you're a real one. The people closest to you will say, man, I love you. Oh, you, you're just, you've been the best. And they say you're a Christian. Uh, a 16th century uh, 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 pastor once said, the person who will know that you're a real Christian is your horse. Now, we don't have horses. What does that mean? It's the person that you were closest to when you would travel, when you would go on a journey. 
And if you're patient or if you would slap the horse, say, go this way, go that way. But if you're kind and patient with the horse on the journey, the, the horse would be like, oh, I actually was on a journey with a Christian today. I said the horse would know. What it's saying is the people closest to you on the journey can actually say, you're a Christian because you passed the conflict and the people test. My prayer is that Mission Church, can I just be honest? As a staff, we sat together on Monday and said, I never knew that one of the biggest things that I would have to learn how to steward as a pastor was how do we steward different people's political beliefs because it's become such an identity in this region. Let's pass the test with people. When people hear our name, may they think, man, that's a Christian. That's a great disciple. And maybe they don't call you those two things, but they're trying to figure out, that's just a really great human over there. I don't know what it is. Oh, but our reputation matters. Here's what it says. When our reputation, our good deeds, what happens? They praise God because of us. May Walnut Creek, may the East Bay, Alamo, uh, San Ramon, Danville, Concord, Pleasant Hill, Lafayette, Oakland, you name it. May they praise God because of us. Woo, may they not walk away divided. First thing, wake up to your reputation. It's more important than you think. It, it impacts things more than you think. Second thing is this, wake up to your Christian duty. Wake up to your Christian duty. Now, I, I'll say this, everybody's awake on their political liberties being infringed upon, but I don't think people are awake to their Christian duties. Matthew 5, 38, Jesus tells us how to uh, operate these deeds. What are the deeds? Like, you're like, well, I'll, okay, I'll do deeds, but what does deeds look like? Matthew 5, 38 through 40 actually shows you what these deeds should look like in our era. Now, let me give you some context about what Jesus is saying to the Christians at this moment. They are being oppressed, they are being imprisoned, they are being murdered by the Romans. And he says, here's how you should act towards these, this government that is oppressing you. Here's how you should act to this people group that's oppressing you. Here's how you should operate. And here's what he says in Matthew 5, 38 through 48. You've heard that it was said, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Stop. Can we just say something real quick? Why did you say somebody slap you on the cheek? Do you think somebody tries to kill you with a slap? I'm about to murder you. Slap, 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 slap. You don't try to murder somebody with a slap. Why would you slap somebody? You're not even trying to win a fight in a slap. Like you're trying to actually like knock somebody out. You're gonna be like, slap. Oh, no, it's not what's gonna happen. You know what a slap does? A slap is insulting. It is, it degrades you. It belittles you. Jesus is saying, when somebody belittles you or, or betrays you or, or mocks you and they slap you, you turn your other cheek. And here's what it means. The other cheek, when you turn it, they're gonna come with the same hand and they're gonna backhand you. Have you ever heard this comment? A backhanded comment? It comes from this moment. What it's saying is, is when somebody gives you a comment that is a terrible comment, turn the other cheek. Well, what does that mean? Do, do we just sit there and let somebody just beat us up? No, that's not what it's saying at all. What it is saying is the posture that a Christian takes when somebody mocks us is we don't mock back. We take the posture of reconciliation. Can you imagine? Do you know who got uh, slapped in the face? Punched in the face? His name was Jesus. Can you imagine if Jesus didn't give us another chance? All he's saying with this moment in our Christian duty is the people that are frustrating you right now, different political beliefs, different whatever beliefs, different whatever things they've said, is just to give them another chance. Oh, we gotta give people more than one chance. If they say something that mocks you, say something that frustrates you, don't write them off. Have a posture of saying, I'm still ready to receive from you. I'm still ready to, uh, to have a relationship with you. C.S. Lewis said this quote, and I'm just gonna paraphrase it. Uh, there's two options here. Turning the other cheek, does it not seem practical? That's impractical, Tyler. That doesn't seem like the healthy thing to do. It doesn't seem like the right thing to do. Okay, so we're supposed to love our enemies. Now, C.S. Lewis said, if you wanna love people, get ready for your heart to be broken. 
excuse me? That doesn't seem like the best like, encouraging thing. He goes, but if you don't want to love people and you don't want to be loved by people, just lock that heart up and guard it and don't love anybody. Put it in a dark place. But while your heart is not loving anybody and not being hurt by anybody, that heart will go dark and cold and die. Basically, it will be a dead heart and it needs to be woken up again. And what happens in this is, that's the most impractical thing to do, is to give up on mankind because they're impractical. To give up on mankind because they're mocking. To give up on somebody because they're mocking. Jesus is saying, the only practical thing to do in your deeds is when people bother you, is to have a posture say, I still, I'm gonna give you another chance. I'm gonna give you another chance in this relationship. And at Mission Church, we're gonna give people second chances. We're gonna give people third chances. We're gonna give people fourth chances. When people smack us in the face and they say silly things, we're gonna still love them. Does that sound like a good idea? Come on, let's keep going. It's the opposite, if I could be honest, <laughs> of Instagram right now. Oh, that person said that, unfollow. I feel like if Jesus is gonna preach it today, can, can, I'm, just, I'm gonna go off a little bit. Um, if Jesus was gonna say it today, he would have said, if you are an... Uh, uh, if somebody on Instagram says something that uh, bothers you, do not unfollow them. Do not, do not unfollow them. Now, no, don't get me wrong. If somebody is really unhealthy in your life and they're like rhythm of attacking you, that's different. That's, that's an unhealthy relationship. But if you have people in your life and they say one thing, man, we're so quick to give up on people. Don't be quick to give up on people. Re-engineer relationships. Guard yourself, but love people, okay? Uh, next point. So Christian, so he's gonna break it down. Next one is, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Other translations say it a different way, but I think it's funny is, a lot of people read that verse, and this is one of those verses that shake. It's kind of a smelling salt verse. Like, what do you mean, like, give my coat as well? So somebody steals my wallet, am I supposed to say, hold on, come back. I've got a $50 bill stuck in my shoe. You forgot to take. Here's my $50 bill. Oh, you stole my, 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 my wallet. But here, also, here's my savings in my bank account. Here's my life savings. That's not what he's saying. You gotta, there's this little part, there's so much more than meets the eye. He goes, anyone wants to sue and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. The shirt represents a tunic. And so if somebody steals your tunic, it's something that was valuable to you, but you can replace it. But the coat was a little bit different. It was the man's robe, it was the person's robe. You only had one of these things. And the robe was a big deal. It wasn't a little thing. The robe was literally legally guarded that you could not have somebody take it from you uh, because it was not only what you wore from head to toe, it's what you slept with. It, what kept, it was what kept your dignity. And what Jesus is saying is, your political liberty has to be below your Christian duty. Can I say this to you real quick, church? Our Christian duty is above our political liberty. He's saying, the Christian, if you're focused on your political rights, you'll never be able to act like a Christian. Because your political liberty is more important than your Christian duty, you'll always be lost. I see Christians saying, oh, I'm so passionate about my political liberties. And they're not loving the person to the left and right. And Jesus is saying, this is, you gotta understand the context of the Jewish people hearing at this time. Hold on a second, my one robe, this is guarded by legal rights. Nobody can uh, do this. Let me read you a verse uh, by R.C. Sproul. The kingdom of God is not of the people, by the people, or for the people. It is a kingdom ruled by a king and God does not rule by consent of his subjects by his sovereign authority. He reigns, his reign extends over me whether I vote for him or not. Us in this uh, American culture, we have such an independence thing. Independence Day, Independence Day. Can I just tell you when you get saved, it becomes Dependence Day. It is not Independence Day. It is my king, my king, what do you want from me? I, uh, I think if we put our Christian duties a little higher on the list, it would be a really pretty place to live. It'd be a really sweet place to live. 
I had one of my pastor buddies say this, uh, does God care about who you vote for? Sure, but he cares way more about who, how you treat the person that's voting differently than you. Here, let me hear it say that again. Does God care about who you vote for? Sure, but he cares way more about how you treat the person who votes differently than you. It's, it's fascinating, you read these verses of how Jesus tells us to operate, and I'll pause once in a while, and I'll, I'll see these standards Jesus sets for um, the church and for his people to operate and just basically to love each other and how they're supposed to act. And I go, man, would that be a special community to live in? Man, would that be special? A community that reconciles quickly, a community that, that loves first and that loves assumes the best, a community that, that really does wake up to their Christian duty and really actually sacrifice their political liberties for their Christian duty for mankind. I'm not saying that we're supposed to be pushovers. Can I just say something real quick? We should care about politics. We should not leave um, the American government to all the atheists. Some of you are like, Christians shouldn't be involved in politics. So only atheists should be involved in uh, politics? Only other religions? No, 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 no. I think that we shouldn't be involved, but when your political liberty and your politics become number one and your Christian duty gets pushed to the bottom, oh, we have lost our way. Wake up to your Christian duty. It's not about our political liberty. It's about our Christian duty. That's what he was saying in that verse. Next one says this, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Now, I, I'm gonna give you the, the context of what, what that would look like. So why would he say, if somebody makes you go one mile, I go two miles. Does that ever happen to us today? Like I'm at the grocery store. Hey, I want you to go a mile with me. Uh, I'm not gonna walk with you, man. I don't even know you. That's not what he's talking about. In this time, a Roman soldier could take his spear, tap you on the shoulder if you were a Jewish citizen, and just right here, you'd tap and you would know exactly what's happening. He's going to tap your shoulder and he's gonna say, carry all of my gear, all of my stuff, and then walk him out because I don't wanna carry it. And by uh, the political legal uh, rights, he, he had a legal right for you to carry it for one mile. And what Jesus was saying was like, I want my Christians to look different. I want them to look so different. When a Roman soldier taps you on the shoulder, the first mile, the world does the first mile. That second mile is when that Roman soldier starts asking questions why are you going another mile with me? I didn't force you to go. Christianity is interesting. Religion, you obey to get. Christianity is, I found out what Jesus did, so I obey. I go above and beyond. Oh, Christianity is like, Jesus died on a cross, I wanna do whatever I can to let people know what he did. And if it means me walking an extra mile with somebody, say goodnight. Here's what I mean by that. It is fascinating to me how quick we give up right now. How, how, how little bandwidth we have for people. Jesus isn't even saying just the, we're not even going one mile with people real quick. Our church, we gotta wake up and go the extra mile with people. We've heard the extra, oh, go the extra mile. Really what the extra mile means, not of this world. Listen a little longer instead of argue uh, first. What would it look like to go an extra mile a day? It would be um, engaging somebody in conversation and trying to seek to understand why they think the way they think instead of trying to tell them why they should think the way you think. Another way to be going the extra mile is just actually going out to coffee and loving them for no reason and not doing anything else. Just helping them in their life would be going the extra mile. That's it. Helping somebody that you don't want to help. That's going the extra mile. Oh, this, this is the Christian duty. These are the deeds that Jesus is looking for the church to say yes to and actually have his name be glorified. Let's keep going. I love this last part. He goes on to say, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? That's the worst people basically at that time. It's the people that it would only do to get. So what he's saying is like, if you can only love those who love you, you're the worst of the worst right now. He goes on to say, and if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Oof. 
What he's saying is, get a different robe, get a different rep, get a different uh, look. Oh, wake up to your Christian duty. So first two, wake up to your rep, wake up to your Christian duty. And then last but not least, wake up to Jesus. Wake up to Jesus. Just, just say the name real quick, Jesus. Jesus! Uh, one, of my, uh, one of my favorite um, uh, moments in church was, there was this guy in the middle of worship sometimes, he would just yell this, Jesus! I don't know about you, but when the name of Jesus is said, it does kind of get your attention a little bit. It's, it, there's something powerful about it. And when you wake up to Jesus and not only the power of the name, but who he is, ooh, say goodnight. Because here's the deal. How do, you, how do you have a great rep? Do you do it in your own strength? No. How do you have a great rep? Do you just do the deeds just to do the deeds? No. If you wake up to Jesus, your Christian duty will be a lot easier and your rep will become a lot easier. And here's what I mean by that. Luke 9, interesting story, but we're going to use it. It's this moment where these two disciples want to call down fire. Let's look at it. As the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead, uh, uh, ahead to a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. To prepare for his arrival. Stop. What is Revelation? We're preparing for Jesus' second arrival. He has sent us to prepare for his arrival. So we are sent ahead to prepare for his second arrival. So we are sent ahead. So we can relate with that part of it. Ready? He goes on to say this. But the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. When James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, so they went on to another village. Uh, we were like, hold on a second. These people don't like you, Jesus. Set them on fire. I remember reading this and thinking it's one of the silliest moments in the Bible. Like James and John, the sons of thunder, that's what they call them. They're just so fiery and they just want to kill everybody. Aren't they just adorable? Now, if you read the Bible, it's actually not that crazy of a thing them asking. If you go in the Old Testament, Elijah is sitting there. They, uh, uh, the soldiers come up to Elijah and they are not for God and he calls fire down and it burns them up. And then uh, they come up again, Elijah, fire comes down again, burns them up. And then finally somebody comes with some reverence and Elijah goes with them. But people didn't have reverence for God and reverence for what Elijah was doing for God. He just called fire down on him and killed him. So the disciples knew this. Well, people don't have reverence for God and reverence for what we're doing. Let's just do what Elijah did. He's he was amazing. Let's call the fire down. And Jesus rebuked him. Why did Jesus rebuke him? Here's why Jesus rebuked him. Pause. I, I, I want to read a verse first. Here's why he rebuked him. Let's go to Matthew 5, 21 through 24. This is the smelling small of all smelling salt verses in my teaching today. Ready? You ever read those verses where you read it and you go, I'm dipped. I am so dipped. There's no way I can do this. Let's read this and tell me if you're, let's see if anybody in our church can come unscathed from this and, and condemned. Ready? You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, is answerable to the, uh, to the court. Stop. Raka, Greek word, it's where moron comes from. It's idiot, empty-headed idiot, but moron. So if you've called anybody moron or anybody stupid, you're done. You've murdered somebody. What are you dipped for? You ready for this? And if anyone says you fool, you will be in danger of what? The fire of hell. Well, hold on a second. So if I've ever been angry with somebody, if I've ever said uh, somebody's a moron, that the fire of hell is gonna come on me and destroy me, that's what this verse says. So, so, so am I dipped? Am I done? Goes on to say this, and I think it's interesting. He goes, therefore, connects it to the church. If you're offering a gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. 
First go and be reconciled to them, then come offer your gift. Stop. When you come to the altar, this is the, I want you to see this picture real quick. He's saying, you better wake up to who God is. You better wake up to who Jesus is because if James and John wanted fire brought down on the, the Samaritan village, can I just say something real quick? Jesus is like, I rebuke that because your way gets fire on everybody. My way gets fire on me. Can I tell you real quick? You're saying, oh, I don't know how I'm gonna be able to turn the other cheek. Thank goodness Jesus turned the other cheek. I don't know how I'm gonna give up my robe. Jesus was naked on the cross because he gave up his robe. I don't even know how I'm gonna go the extra mile. Jesus walked the extra mile up to the cross of Calvary. If, if, you, if Jesus can do it, we're supposed to do it. Let me put it this way. Um, well, I don't know how the, the fire that I wanna call down on those people is gonna come on me. Stop. Jesus rebukes James and John for this very reason. If I call fire down on these people, James and John, I gotta call fire down on you. I rebuke that. I'm gonna call fire down on myself because you guys both deserve fire. And when you wake up to Jesus, this is the, this is the moment when you become a great disciple. Can I just say real quick, when you, you wanna wake up to be a great disciple? It's when you don't actually focus on the outward sin of the world anymore and you actually are aware of the disgusting sin in your own heart. You know what Jesus is doing real quick? He's taking the microscope of heaven and going, okay, I'm looking at your, your soul cells. Yep, it's a small little cell, but it's a murder cell. And if, uh, yeah, I, yep, you're, you're doomed to hell. Well, but, it, but I didn't murder anybody. Yeah, but you got the murder cells. Uh, oh, yep I, see some, yep, I see some other bad cells in there. They're, they're not that big, but I see them. And what he's trying to do to us is he's trying to allow us to look through the same lens and go, look at your heart real quick with me. Look at your heart. You see that? You're doomed to hell. You're doomed to hell, so is that person doomed to hell. The only person that can save you from the fire is me. And what Jesus did on the cross was, no fire on them, no fire on James and John, bring the fire on me. And everything that was supposed to destroy us, destroyed Jesus on the cross so that we could be rebuilt again. It's an, when you wake up to what Jesus did for your life, you're way more patient with other people. Can I, just be, can I just say something real quick? Have you ever said this before? Man, this would be a way better world without all them liberals and Democrats. If we could just get rid of the liberals and Democrats, this world would be great. Have you ever said this? If we just get rid of those Republicans, this world would be great. Can I just tell you real quick? If you wanna get rid of the Democrats, you wanna get rid of the Republicans. We're all messed up. You wanna call fire on the Democrats? Well, guess what? You gotta call fire on the uh, Republicans. You wanna call fire on the Republicans? You gotta call fire on the Democrats. We both deserve fire and death. We're both morally corrupt people. That's why we wake up to Jesus and say, thank you for dying on a cross. Thank you for turning the cheek when I couldn't turn a cheek. Thank you for uh, taking off the robe and becoming naked so I could put on a new robe and actually represent you well. Jesus has given us the opportunity to have a different reputation because he died on the cross. Jesus took a different reputation to be called a carpenter, to be called the son of a woman who didn't even out of wedlock. Oh, to be called so many things. He took a bad rep so you could have a great rep. Do you, do you see these correlations? Oh, he, he said yes to saving the world so you could bring heaven. Church, I never want to be an reactionary pre preacher. Never want to be. But I want to, I want to be a pastoral preacher. And I want to shepherd real quick. Right now, it is the grossest I've ever seen in my 38 years. In America, I'm not saying the world. Can I be honest? Other countries, they are working for a day's loaf of bread. There are people being raped and pillaged. There are orphans everywhere. There are people dying of starvation. There are people that can't get to water today. But in America, the hearts are really cold right now. And man, we need to wake up and let Jesus, oh, warm up your heart 
and warm up the kindness again and warm up the things that God wants to warm up so you can actually be what he calls you to be. Can I pray for you, Mission Church? God, I thank you for what you're doing at Mission Church. And Lord, as the enemy tries to use silly things like politics and different ideals to divide, oh, may the church unite under one banner and wake up to Jesus. Oh, we make up to what you did. Wake up to how great you are. Oh Lord, there's, there, there's so many things that need to be fixed here before I try to fix out there. So Lord, renew the spirit. Oh Lord, I pray that right now we'd all just be praying over our own hearts and our own souls saying, renew my mind. Help me love again. Help me, help me be merciful. Help me be patient. I wanna pray for the person who's brand new at our church. You never said yes to Jesus. If you wanna say yes to Jesus today, there's three ways you can say yes. You can say yes um, on the YouTube. Just type in yes. We'll have a pastor fall in, uh, follow up with you and we'll celebrate it. If you wanna say yes uh, online, our website, go to our website, say yes. If you're with somebody, tell me said yes. A text somebody said yes. Start the journey. We got small groups. Sign up for small groups. Life is better together. Mission Church, I love you. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.